Church, today we're continuing our sermon series that's entitled, God is Blank, and, and what we're doing is challenging you every single week this month. May you continue to seek out who God truly is to you. And today we're going to be talking about how God is hope when you are hurting. In James chapter 1 verse 17, it says this, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. And like I told you last week, church, I'm so thankful that God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. So today what we're going to be talking about, having hope when you are hurting, I'm sure that there are people sitting here today, maybe you're hurting right now, you're going through a difficult time in your life, maybe there's some, tr- some struggles, some adjustments that you have to make in your life, and listen, if you're not right now, I want to encourage you, still pay attention because there will be a time in the future that you will be hurting, and God wants you to have hope. Maybe this morning you sit here in church and maybe you're afraid, maybe you're alone, Maybe you feel exhausted where you're at in life. Maybe you feel worn out. Maybe you're losing hope. And and this morning I'm asking, are you feeling that way in your life? Today we're going to look at a guy from the Old Testament. A guy from the Old Testament who, his name is Jeremiah. And we're going to be looking at his words in the book of Lamentations where he's speaking. And basically, church, I'm going to sum it up in some very simple words for you. Basically, what Jeremiah was saying in the book of Lamentations, he basically was saying, people stink. Really and true, that's what he's saying. He's saying life isn't fair. He's saying my body is wrecked. He's saying I can't sleep. I'm broke. You know, I'm overwhelmed with anxiety. And God doesn't seem to care. That's what Jeremiah was saying here, basically. I mean, today we're going to kind of make it a little more bible for you. If that's such a word, bible I'm not sure. In the book of Lamentations. But essentially, that's what he said. So if everyone will turn with me, please, to Lamentations chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 19, and this is Jeremiah speaking. He says this. He said, I remember my affliction and my wondering, the bitterness and the gall. Verse 20 and 21 says this. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Today, churches, what I want to point out to you, it's one of the most, most powerful attributes of God. One of the greatest things about God, and it will give you hope when you're hurting. See, Jeremiah in Lamentations chapter 3, he's really struggling. And you know, church, we have struggles in our life, don't we? We have all kinds of struggles. Every single person, you're sitting here today, you're, you're facing some kind of struggle in your life. But Jeremiah, man, he's struggling big time. He's sitting here, he's dwelling on these things, he's, he's focusing on all this stuff, and then what he does is he remembers something, right? He's telling us in verse 19, he's saying, I remember my affliction and my wandering, I'm remembering the bitterness and all the gall, so he's saying, man, I'm remembering all the garbage of life, all the things that are fa- I'm facing right now, and he says, I well remember them and my soul is downcast, so this guy's depressed, He's depressed, he's hurting, he's struggling. But what I really love is in verse 21 where he says this, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. He's telling us that there's hope. He suddenly remembers 
God in his faithfulness, he says this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. Church, you realize his faithfulness never ends to us. It doesn't. You realize how often you are so unfaithful to him? I am so unfaithful to him in our just daily lives, right? In the way that we live, the way that we talk, the things that we think about, the things we want to hold on to of this world. We we can be so unfaithful to him, but yet God is constantly faithful. And I love this. It says his mercies never cease. God's mercies never cease. So church, this morning I want to tell you, there is hope. There's hope for each and every one of us when you're hurting. See, the mercies of God is way more complex than what at times we think. Really, his mercy is so complex. It's very complex, and, 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 and there are layers. You realize there's layers to the attributes of God. I mean, he, he is very layered, and his layers overlap each other, too. God is so complex, but yet he's so simple. But in those layers. Church, there's a lot of distinction in it. There's a lot of distinction. See, my goal, whenever I became the preacher 11 years ago, my goal was that I can preach the word of God and that if you are 10 years old, you're going to get it. If you're 110 years old, you're going to get it. That's what my goal was. And so my goal is to take a concept and make it simple to understand without distorting God's word, mind you. I'm going to be held accountable for everything I speak from this pulpit. That scares me. But today I'm going to start in a simple way of looking at Jeremiah. But then here's what it's doing. It might get confusing. It might get confusing, but this is exciting because sometimes this is how simple of a guy I am. When it starts out so simple and then it gets confusing, a lot of times confusing preaching actually means that we're getting complex. We're getting deeper. We just don't recognize it. So for me, it's going to be Very simple, but it's going to be deep today. So what I want to do is we're going to look at a very powerful, very simple truth about our God. And one of the challenges of the attributes of God is sometimes people lump God just all in one. But he's got so many different attributes. They they overlap. You know, there's love, church. There's joy. There's mercy, right? There's goodness. He is just. He is faithful. He, He gives us grace. He's compassionate. And all those are truths, but those truths overlap each other. But there are some very unique distinctions about our God. And today what I want to do is I want to list three attributes. Three attributes of God that are closely related. And here's what I, before we go any further, I want to make sure you're going like, yeah, preacher, I know what an attribute is. You ever say you know something and someone says, what's it mean? Well, I know what it means, but it's hard to explain. I want you to understand what an attribute is. Here's the definition of an attribute. It's a quality, it's a character or a characteristic. So today, we want to look at the qualities of God, the characteristic of God. And the three that I want to point out to you is this, grace, justice, and mercy. Hear me out this morning. See, these are related, but they're very distinct. The very first one is justice, right? The definition of justice is this. You get what you deserve. You get what you deserve. See, when someone does something horrific, you see it on the news all the time. People are crying, we want justice, right? It means they want to see that person pay for what it is that they did, that they deserve it, right? Let justice be served. That is justice, Someone getting what they deserve. And then we want to look at grace. Is when you get what you don't deserve, church. 
Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. Does anybody here, sitting here today, do you deserve salvation? Do you deserve heaven? No, you don't. Not a one of us, not any of us deserve it, but we are saved by God's grace, right? God gives us something we don't deserve. And the third attribute of God I want to point out today is this. It's mercy that you don't get. Listen to me, church. You don't get what you do deserve. That's God's mercy. And see, all these are a little bit different. They're all a little bit different. And so most of us, right, most of us like justice. We like justice till it comes down to us, don't we? We don't like justice when it has to deal with us. We love justice when it deals with somebody else. You're like, oh yeah, you give it to them, right? They deserve it. The other day I was watching my oldest granddaughter's soccer game, Charlie, and, and I was playing with the youngest one, Lennon, and, and she, she, all of a sudden she got this really sad face. She goes, Papa, sissy did this to me. And she showed me this little boo-boo on her finger. And I looked at her real serious and said, do you want me to whip her? She went, oh yeah. She loved the fact that somebody else was going to get justice, and she gets to watch, right? I want to see it. I want to see that girl get a whipping, right? Little kids are like that. You know what? So are you. We are the same way sometimes, aren't we? When someone's getting justice, as long as it ain't you, you want a front row seat, and you want a box of popcorn to go with it. You want to see it happen. See, we don't want justice with us. What do we want, church? We want mercy, don't we? We truly, we want mercy. We don't want what we deserve. We want God to show us mercy. We don't want to get what we actually do deserve, but we want other people to get justice, but not us. No, man, when it comes to me, I want mercy. I want God to have mercy on me, but we want other people to have justice. So how many of you have ever had a speeding ticket in your life, right? You've had a speeding ticket. So all of a sudden, you look in the mirror, you ever notice those things come in waves too? You can go forever and not get one all of a sudden, boom, boom, you got two or three of them. But all of a sudden you look in the mirror, you see the cop's lights are just blaring at you, and so you pull over, the cop comes up to the car, and as you're sitting there, you know what happened, right? Because as soon as you saw the lights, you look down at your speedometer. Don't play dumb. And all of a sudden the officer comes over the window, rolls, you roll down your window, and the cop says, excuse me, ma'am, sir, do you know why I pulled you over? I got experience in this. I can give you the whole spiel. <laughs> and you sit there, there's this dilemma. Do I play dumb? Well, no, officer, I'm not sure. You know you were speeding. You looked at it, right? And so you're sitting there. He says, license and registration. He goes back to the car, and then you're sitting in your car. You're praying, right? Lord, I ain't got $163. You know my checking account. Lord, have mercy on me. I, I won't speed again if you, you give me grace, right? You know, I, Lord, I'm praying that officer is having a really good day today so he don't take it out on me. And he comes back to the car and he says, well, you were speeding, but I'm going to let you off today with a warning. And you're praising God, aren't you? You're like so excited. That's $163 you now have again. See, you were wrong. You were speeding. You deserve the punishment, church. But the officer showed you mercy. You didn't get the punishment and the ticket. See, we want justice for everyone else. But you realize, church, our God is a merciful God. He is. 
God is a very merciful God, and that's good news, right? That is good news for each and every one of us. And so there is a text in Ephesians that I want to share with you. You'll look with me in Ephesians chapter 2. And this is one of those verses that's not fun. You know what I'm talking about? There's a lot of verses in the Bible It's not fun. It's not something you want to hang your hat on because it's hard. But in, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul, what he's doing is he's, he wants to contrast our spiritual condition. Listen to me, someone. Our spiritual condition without Christ in our nature without Christ. And what he does is he contrasts it with God's mercy. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. One through three. It says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. So what Paul's saying here is like, listen, you used to be this way before you were saved. You were chasing after your fleshly desires. You wanted to follow the things of the world, not the things of God. And he's saying, you were spiritually dead. You were following the devil. And he's saying, you used to live that way. Following the path of that sinful nature. Church, every one of us, we have that. We're rebellious. We are rebellious people. We did whatever felt good, right? We, we did whatever we wanted. You know, not wanting to follow God. We just wanted to do it our way. And, and whatever's best for me. Sometimes just living in the moment. Because of our sinful nature, church, we are subject, right, to God's wrath. All this can be confusing for a lot of people, especially baby Christians. See, because we preach, right? We preach about a loving God at church. You know, God loves everybody. And, and this is where it gets complex. And I've heard this so many times in my office, church. It's this question. How can a loving God also be an angry God? How can a loving God also be an angry God? So I want to show you how love and anger can coexist. It can coexist. They can be, they can unquestionably coexist. If you've got a child, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? You know exactly what I'm talking about. You love that child, but when that child lies to you, right, you've had enough. What do you feel? You, you feel simultaneously that love for the child, and you also feel the anger for their sin, you can feel both things, right? And then you go to that, that, that old spiel that your parents gave you, and you probably have said the same thing, right? Your child has lied to you, and, and you're calling them out on it, and then the punishment comes down, and you make that famous statement, right? This is going to hurt me way more than it's going to hurt you. I never understood that, because it hurt. <laughs> See, you, you have this love for your child, but also an anger at that sin, and they coexist, church. Maybe you have a friend. Maybe you have a friend who's not living their life right. You know what? Your, your friend drinks and drives, and you love your friend, right? You love your friend with everything you have, but you can be angry that they're putting themselves in danger as well as everybody else. So you have that kind of anger. They coexist. You know what? You can love your husband so much, but when he doesn't put the toilet seat down, you know what I'm talking about, right, ladies? You pray for God to give you extra love for them. See, Paul is talking about this. See, without Christ, you're subject to his wrath. 
Every single one of us, church. Without Christ, you are subject to his wrath. See, God is angry. He can be an angry God at the filth. God is angry at the horror. He's angry at the sin of this world. It goes against everything of his holiness. God is angry about those things, church. He really is. But yet, remember, when we are without Christ, when we are without Christ, we are dead to our sins. This morning, you're sitting here today, and you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Seriously, church, this is what Paul is talking about. You are dead to your sins. That breaks my heart. He's saying, you know what? You're obeying Satan. He says that we are subject. In that point right there, we're subject to God's anger. And then Paul says two of the greatest words in the Bible, right? He's sitting there saying, by our very nature, we are subject to God's anger, just like everyone else, because you're following your passionate desires and of your sinful nature. But guess what? In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it starts out with two of the greatest words written in the Bible. He says, but God... It cancels out everything else before that. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Church, even though we deserve to be punished, God is rich in mercy. I'm so thankful God does not give me what I deserve. I'm serious. I'm so thankful for that. Man, if anyone here today, if you're ever tempted to think like God's not fair, I, I hear people say it a lot of the time, God is not fair. We need to be thankful. You need to thank him that he's not fair, that you don't get actually what you deserve because if he gave us, if God was fair, if he gave me what I deserved, I can't imagine what my life would be like. See, but God lives in a continual, ongoing state of mercy. The Bible tells us his mercy never ends. It never, ever ends. It's an unending state of mercy. It's brand new every single morning. Listen, church, mercy was new to you yesterday. Guess what? You got up again today, and that mercy was brand new for you today. And guess what? Tomorrow, you're going to get up, and that mercy will be brand new again for you tomorrow. It is unending. It is continual. The Bible says he is abounding in rich mercy. So what about the God of the Old Testament? You know what I'm talking about? The God of the Old Testament, the one that he was ticked off angry, the ticked off angry God who would strike them dead. They're saying the words and boom, you're out of here, right? Now in the New Testament, a lot of people look at God in a different way. And this kind of breaks my heart, church. They kind of look at God as a loving God, like kind of wink, wink, ah, it's all right if you're sinning. Man, our churches are filled with people who are sitting there saying, oh, it's okay. God knows your heart. Go ahead and just keep living your life. You know, you can ask for mercy later. You can ask for forgiveness later. That's not how it works, church. If you've been taught that from the pulpit, let me tell you something. You've been taught wrong. God's word makes it very clear to us. Extremely clear to us. He is not a pushover God. It's not the way that we want. It has to be the way that he wants it. Man, I'm hoping to pull off a sermon here in a couple of weeks, but I was looking at all the promises God makes to us, and you realize that most of the promises that God makes to us 
there comes along with something. It's like, if you do this, I promise you, I will do this. People think that God's promises are just for everybody. They are. If you are in Christ Jesus, those promises are for you. In the rest of the world, I feel bad for them. See, because he has always been a righteous and loving God, but here's the problem. This is why so many people have the wrong view of God. A lot of baby Christians have the wrong view of God because this is where it gets confusing. So many people don't understand the true God. They don't understand God because their view starts in Genesis chapter 3, right? When Adam and Eve fell. They sinned. They disobeyed God, right? They did this, and then it ends in chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, where it talks about punishment, the punishment that's going to come down for those who are outside of Christ. That's eternal damnation. So for many people, they think about God. But you know, their theology is, if you're a sinner, you're going to hell. If you're not a good person, you're going to hell. If you're, you're pathetic, right? You're going to hell. You fell short, you're going to hell. See, church, that is not where the story of God started. See, God created everything. And what did God say after he created everything? He said, it is good. God created the heavens and the earth, and he said, it is good. He said, the oceans are good. He said, the mountains are good. He said, the skies are good. The fish are good. The birds are good. It's all good. And then he created people. He didn't say people were good. He said this. He said, now man is very good. That's what he says to us, church. So it started with the goodness of God, and he said, this is good. So go ahead, Adam and Eve, enjoy it all. I gave you this whole garden. I created it for you. I want you to enjoy it, man. It was beautiful. It was amazing. He said, you know what? <laughs> enjoy it to the fullest. You know, be naked, have fun, multiply, enjoy the garden. I made it for you. But he said, don't eat the fruit. Don't eat that forget, forbidden fruit. And Adam and Eve is just like you and me. As soon as someone says you can, what do you want to do? Oh, yeah, I want to now. If you wouldn't have said I can't, then I wouldn't have wanted to. And so they ate it. And did they die a physical death? No, they didn't. Church, they died a spiritual death. So what did God do when they sinned? He didn't strike them down. He didn't make them into a black burn spot on that brand new grass he just made. He didn't do that, did he? No, he didn't. He said, guess what? There's consequences. He said, there's gonna be consequences to your sin. He said, ladies, guess what? Eve, <laughs> it's gonna be rough for you. That childbirth thing, it's gonna hurt. He said, it's gonna be awful. Guys, you know what? You're going to have to work. Adam, you're going to have to work really hard. I handed it all to you before, but since you sinned, you fell short. Here's your consequence. You're going to have to work, and it's going to be hard work. You're going to have to labor really hard. He said there's consequences. So what did God do, church? In his mercy, right? In his mercy, which is brand new every morning. We already established that. It was there from the beginning. It will be there in the end. In his mercy, he sacrificed an innocent animal. He made coverings with the skins for their shame. And in his mercy, church, brand new every morning, and it was there in the beginning, and it goes all the way to Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And so when we see God makes all things new again, because he says that, he will make all things new again. 
It starts with good and it ends with good. But then there's the middle. When you understand the nature of God, he is just, church. He is a just God. He just doesn't wink and go, oh, it's okay. I'll let that one slide. No, he's a just God, but he is always having mercy. Always having mercy. In the Old Testament, man, I love, I love the stories of David in the Old Testament. They're very intriguing to me. The, the story of David, he, he just, he's, a, he's a dude's dude. You know what I'm talking about? He's a man's man. He, he's someone who is leading and he's strong and handsome. All these kind of things. But David had a problem. He had a problem, and, and, and David struggled with sin. I don't think you can really say it this way, but he was pretty good at sinning. You shouldn't say someone's good at sinning, right? It doesn't make sense. But David did it, and he didn't just like do a little. He went all out when he was doing it. You know the story of Bathsheba, right? And, and so he sinned right there. And so what did he do? He, he wanted to go to God. Check out 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 14. It says this, and David said to God, I am in deep distress because he sinned. He said, let us fall into the hands of the Lord for his mercy is great, but do not let me fall into human hands. What David was saying is like, Lord, I know your mercies are great. I know your mercies are just unending. So please, I want to fall into you because all these people I'm down here with, they have no mercy whatsoever. He wanted to go to God and not to man. He wanted to turn to God when he did wrong. And listen, church, that's what we are called to do. He said, I wanted to go to a merciful God because he will show me mercy and man will not. See, we live in a time today, there's a lot of people out there that will not show mercy. They just won't. You realize God will show mercy to you. But isn't it funny how a lot of times when we mess up, People just want to pile on. You know what I'm saying? People just want to pile right on top of that. And here's a really sad fact, church. This breaks my heart, but I see it all the time. The sad fact is this. God will show us mercy, and people usually don't. But the very sad fact is this. Who should be the most merciful body of people? It's the body of Christ. And we are often, church, the ones who show the least mercy. Please don't confuse what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that you turn a blind eye to sin and you tell everyone everything's gonna be all right, you do what you do. That's not what I'm saying. See, God is full of mercy, right? And so we, because we are called to be Christ-like, you are a Christian. The root word of Christian is Christ. And we're called to be Christ-like. And so I ask you this morning, how much mercy do you show to other people? God's full of mercy. The Old Testament gives tons of details of how he wanted things to be. You want to read something absolutely amazing? You know, a lot of the staff always says, I have OCD, and I really have it bad. God is a God of detail. <laughs> he is wild with detail. In the Old Testament, God gives details of how he wanted his holy temple to be built. I'm talking about he gave them dimensions. He said, I want you to use exactly this much gold, this much bronze, this much silver. I want it to be exactly the way that I want it. And guess what? In the middle of that temple, you know what I want you to do? He's telling me, he said, I want you to build a mercy seat. I want you to build a mercy seat to make room for mercy, 
to make room for it. And guess what? God says, I want to be right in the center. I want to be right in the middle because I am the one who is in the center of all this mercy. I am the one who is in the middle of it. And so that's where he wanted it. You know what? James says this. James says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgments. So Christians, Christians should show the most mercy. You realize that? You and I, we should show the most mercy. Again, don't you dare confuse it. We are still to call out our brothers and sisters and, and correct and rebuke in love. Don't you confuse what mercy is. But you help them. We, we are to be merciful. And, and we are to show the most mercy because we ourselves of what we've received. The mercy that God has given to you and the mercy that God has given to me. And see, many people, they stay away from the church for a couple of reasons. You realize one of the reasons that people stay away from God because people stay away from church is because we can be the most hypocritical, the most narrow-minded, the most judgmental people and show no mercy whatsoever to those who come through those doors. Even though we have received the most mercy from our God, we should be showing way more, church. We should be, but we're not. What is our message, right? I want you to think about this. What is the message that you and I have to share? It's the message of Jesus Christ. That's the message that we are called to share. You know what the church does? The church makes it so difficult, right? We make it more about programs at times. We make it more about paint and, and carpet color and, and, and what we like and, and what type of music it is and, and what type of speaking it is. And I like this teacher better than this teacher, right? It, it's been going on since the church started. But really, church, we make it so complicated. You boil it all down. The message is Christ and Christ alone. There is nothing else in between. And we should be sharing that message of Jesus Christ. I mean, I'm talking about you come as you are. You come as you are. You come with your pain. You come with your brokenness. You come with your sinfulness. You come with your insecurities. You come with your dysfunction. And man, a lot of us can talk about this dysfunction, right? You come with your drug problem. You come with your drinking problem. You come with your porn addiction. You come with your lying. You come with your envy. You come with your guilt. You come to Jesus Christ. That's what we do. Because you know what, church? We are a people, we are far from perfect. Amen. Drives me crazy when Christians try to act like they're absolutely perfect. Man, you got garbage at home that you need to take out as well. You do. We are not perfect. We, are, we have a sinful nature too. What it is is we are forgiving. God has forgiven us of our sins. But you know what, church? We are people who are not perfect, so how can we demand perfection? We can't. Now again, don't you dare. We are not going to sacrifice God's principles. We are not going to veer away from his word. Do not confuse what I'm saying. We are going to go right by the book. But we have to have grace and mercy for those around us. But for those of you, church, for those of you who accepted Jesus Christ, you have been forgiven. You have been. 
you have been forgiven. God has shown you mercy. Some of you this morning, you need forgiveness. You do. You, you've never received that forgiveness. And see, there is a difference, church, between justice. There's a difference between grace. And there is a difference between mercy. Justice is you get what you deserve. Grace is this. You don't get what you do deserve. I mean, you get what you don't deserve. And mercy is this. You don't get what you do deserve, church. I thank God for mercy. I thank God for the mercy he gives to me that I don't get what I deserve because, man, what I deserve is horrific. And I believe it's probably the same for you. There's nobody in this room today that deserves salvation. There, there is no one here that deserves it. You can't earn it, man. I don't care how often you come to church. I don't care how much you help someone. I don't care how much you, you, you think that, man, I'm, I'm doing it all right. It was bought by a price. Church, you were saved by grace. The grace of Jesus Christ. God sent Jesus for that. He paid the price in your place, church. He paid for our sinfulness. He paid for our wrongdoing. And you know what? There is only one reasonable response for the fact of what Jesus Christ has done. And it comes from Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And man, you've heard it a lot from this Paul, but guess what? You're going to hear it again today. And it says this, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Did you hear what that said? In view of God's mercy, meaning how merciful he is to you, what he has done for you. You offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. That's worship. So as I ask the praise team to come up here this morning, do you understand that living for Christ is worshiping him? I mean, we, again, we confuse it all up, don't we? We think worship is when we stand here, raise our hands up, and you sing as well as you can sing. Maybe you're a beautiful singer. Maybe you're just making a joyful noise unto the Lord. <laughs> but we think that is the only worship. The Bible just tells us right there in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship, and it means this. We worship him with the way that we live. The way that we live our lives is worship to him. Maybe this morning you can thank God for his mercy, but you're still hurting. There's a lot of pain in your life. There's a lot of hurting. Maybe you got some brokenness. Man, I know in the past five years, I've seen more brokenness I've seen more sadness, I've seen more anxiety, and I've seen more tension than I think I've ever seen in my whole life. And the Bible says that we come and we bring it to Jesus. And someone might be sitting here today and you're like, well, I did that a long time ago. Guess what, it's church, you gotta bring it to him every single day, every day. Just because you got saved years ago and you, you, you know, I, I laid it all down. I, I brought it to Jesus Christ and I gave it to him. You know how many times I have to give God something back? 
because I gave it to him this morning. And guess what? I got to give it to him again at night. Do you know how many times that I had to come to Jesus? It wasn't that first time when I was 11 years old at church camp. I have to come to him often. But Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, I want you to hear it one more time. It says, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Church, it never ends. So how many of you this morning, you're sitting here, do you want justice or do you want mercy? See, being a Christian is not just saying a little prayer. It's not just going to church. It is a full-on life submitted to Jesus Christ. I'm talking about you're submitting. That you're saying, you know what, Lord? I gave it to you, and I want to live for you now. I gave you my garbage. And how do we start this relationship, church? You come to him. This morning, you're sitting here. Maybe some of you are outside of Jesus Christ this morning. Maybe you come to church. I, I knew a guy that went to church for 60 years, faithfully served in the church before he realized he never gave his life to him. Can you imagine? So how do we start this relationship? We submit to him. Church, you, you submit to him. You come before him. You say, you know what? I'm tired of it. I'm tired of living my life this way. I'm done. I'm fed up. You know, usually the only time we throw our hands up and say, I'm done with it, I'm fed up with it, is when we're breaking up a relationship with somebody here on this earth, right? We do it to people all the time. Marriages, I'm done. I'm fed up. I'm sick of my kids. But you have to come to that point in your life where you said, I'm fed up with my life. I'm done with it. And you submit to him. And here's the wild part, church. You step away from your wrongdoing. You don't submit to him and then go right back to living the life he lived before. You recognize that he is at work. You trust him and you step away from him. I'm not saying that you might not have a mistake or a slip up in your life, but you don't live a lifestyle anymore. See, you start thinking different. You start seeing God the way that he wants you to see him. You start looking at the world different. So this morning, if that is you, if you want to start that right relationship, I'm talking about you want to make it right with him. I want to encourage you to come down front. While some people down here, they'll pray with you. They will help you through that decision you need to make in your life. And then for the rest of you believers in Jesus Christ, I want to remind you. I want to remind you how faithful God is. His love never ends and his mercies are brand new every single day of your life. But maybe you need to come to Jesus again and again and again and every day you come to him saying lord i'm giving it to you again because i need it because i can't do it i can't live this christian life without you so again lord i'm coming to you one more time and i'm giving it all to you so how about it church let's stand together and let's sing but i want to encourage you to respond this morning